0: The Acts of the Apostles is a record of the works that God did in the lives of a few mighty men and women, okay? Uh, The Acts of the Apostles specifically are the men of God that that, that were chosen specifically by Jesus Christ to represent Him. So what Apostle means since, Uh, this is an office that a few group of privileged men uh, have this position of Apostle. And uh, God called them to a very specific work, and that was to begin uh, the proclamation of the gospel to the entire world. Their job was to turn the whole world upside down. It was to turn the whole world upside down. And he did that. He used them to do that. And so the the key point that we walked away with is what what can we learn? What can we learn from this idea of, of God making a record of the acts of these men, this narrative, this story? What can we learn from that? Well, guess what? God's keeping record on your acts as well. He's keeping account of the way that you're living and the things that you're doing. All right? Uh, Our job in this life is to be surrendered vessels. Surrendered vessels. And we learned a lot uh, at the retreat about what it means to be surrendered. And this is really about a heart attitude towards Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, surrender is about God using us. Yielding ourselves that we might be used to proclaim the gospel into the world. And so it's very important for us to understand that Jesus Christ is watching what we do. And one day we'll stand before God in heaven. And you will have the record of our lives at the judgment seat. And we we will take account before Jesus Christ of what we did with our lives. And so the key point is, the record of our lives will be comprised of the acts that we do in Christ's name. Second Corinthians 5.9 says, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he, that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And we will stand before Jesus Christ. And some of us will be very ashamed of the lives that we live, uh, because we didn't surrender. Because we didn't yield. But others of us will have some small victories that we can, we can find joy in when we stand before Jesus Christ. We can find peace knowing that there's reward for those who are yielded. Now, now last we left our disciples, they were spending time with Jesus. Okay, so let's talk about the chronology of our narrative for a moment. The beginning of Acts picks up where the end of Luke leaves off. Remember, Acts uh, uh, Acts and Luke are both written by Luke, okay? And uh, what is happening here is Jesus is spending 40 days teaching the apostles and preparing them for the work that they're about to do. This is supplemental learning, right? Alright, he spent. Uh, three and a half years with his apostles, with his disciples, investing in them, teaching them uh, what it meant to follow him. And now this is the last little bit. This is, this is the last 40 days that he spends with, with them. And he's teaching them, he's preparing them. And I think it's really important for us to understand that you'll only ever be as successful as your preparation permits. I mean, if we're thinking about in terms of our acts, in terms of God's usage of us, we will only ever be as effective, for His namesake, as we pr- prepare our hearts and our lives for it. See, knowledge and maturity is a threshold for your use. If you choose to remain a novice, if you choose to remain uh, immature in your knowledge and your understanding of God's Word, you will only be able to be used up to a certain point and there will be limitations on God's use of you. You can't have faith for things that you don't know. And if we're talking about the action and God using these, this small group of men, they had a threshold. God in, Jesus Christ invested in them so much of His time and His energy and His teaching, and even this last 40 days, that they might have a knowledge set so that they might have faith for what He was going to do. Does this make sense to everyone? This is the reason that we have discipleship. This is the reason that we have D 2 This is the reason that we have LFDI. See, the apostles have the very presence of Jesus Christ, and we have God's Word. And we as a church have these mechanisms for learning God's Word. And the more that you grow in your knowledge, the more that you can have faith for it. Are you with me? And so we have to desire to prepare ourselves for the work of the ministry so we might not have a threshold, but that God should use us beyond our capacity, and beyond our understanding. So here we have men preparing for the work. And so the foundation of the rest of this book is being raised. Right right here in chapter 1, and so we're going to, I just want you to know, we're going to take a sweet time here in chapter 1 because because the rest of this narrative, the rest of this story, the rest of this historical record is laid on the foundation of chapter 1, and this last little conversation that Jesus Christ is having with his apostles before he ascends to heaven. So we've got to get this right. We can't miss what he's telling them and how he's preparing them. Let's go ahead and pray before we get into our first major point. Can we do that? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for this time. I thank you for the worship this morning and the fact that we have such wonderful men and women leading us into the throne room uh, to call upon your name, to, to, to the time of confession and remembering and victory and love and adoration. God, you are majestic before us. We seek to glorify your name. And that hasn't changed just because we're sitting down and we're, we're, we're in a more of an academic posture right now. That doesn't change the fact that we need you and we need you to be glorified in this place. And so, God, this morning I pray that your word would go forward with power. You would put me aside that the weakness of my flesh would not be on display. But so Lord, the, the, the power and the majesty of your holy and righteous name would be on the forefront of our minds and, and beating in our hearts. Uh, Lord, we have so much that you want to do in our lives. There's there's so much that you've called us to. UMKC, 16,000 people, have not yet been one. There's so many young people in this city who've not yet been reached. And they don't know the name of Jesus Christ. And they have not confessed him as their Lord and Savior who well, at least on the west has not yet been won, And so God, we need you to move in our midst But you only use surrender vessels. And so God, I just ask that you would bring us into that place of surrender, even right now, so we would be inspired by what you have to tell us this morning. And we'd be ready to move forward in faith in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we're going to look at Christ's preparations this morning. Alright, so let's start in verse 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We'll review here a little bit, and then we'll focus in on verses 4 and 5. Verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And so the day in which he was taken up, which we're going to see here momentarily, probably not this week, but next week. And so the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion and many infallible proofs, being seen up in 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And we talked about what those things were, uh, were that he was teaching. We addressed that last week. But we're going to focus in here on how he was preparing them for a very specific work. And what we see here in verse 4 is that the, the, the apostles are assembled together and they're listening and they're cleaning and they're holding on so Jesus' last words before he leaves, before he departs. And this is what he says. He gives them a command. Are you ready? And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. For the promise of the Father, which, saith he, he have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So we've actually, in these two verses, we've got a lot to uncover this one. Alright, so I need you to focus in. I need you to be ready. But we're going to start here with this idea of waiting. idea of waiting. I mean, part of Christ's preparation for the apostles was that they go and they wait. Christ instructs them specifically to wait for the promise of the Father that's coming. Christ had spoken of this promise before in their time of ministry together. Before he died on the cross, he spoke to them of this. John chapter 16, verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So let's pause here for a moment. Jesus Christ says to his apostles, he says to them, Look, it's more expedient for you that I depart. All right, what he's saying is, it's better for you that I leave because what I'm leaving with you is going to give you the ability to do things and be things that you could never be now. you understand? Now, they don't understand this at the time, right? They don't understand anything about his death, burial, resurrection. They only just have an idea. But this is the promise that he makes to them. He's going to leave them with a comforter. And when he has come, check it out, he will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me. The world has not yet been won, right? And Jesus is saying, if I leave the Comforter, he has the ability and the, and the capacity to use you to show the whole world the nature of their sin. To reveal to them their need for the gospel. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Right? This is Him actually telling them, that, look, those 40 days, there's a day coming, and those 40 days, I'm going to reveal to you more, but you can't bear it now. I have to endure the, my death, burial, and resurrection before we can have that conversation. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth. But He shall not speak it Himself, for whatsoever he, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. For all things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Jesus is telling them that they need to remain in Jerusalem, the epicenter of what he is about to do. He's preparing them for one of the greatest single moments in their lives, and really the history of all of mankind. He's preparing them for something very specific. And he prepares them by saying, go and wait. Isn't that interesting? Go and wait. What's up, Adrian? Good to see you, brother. So he tells them to wait. Now listen to me, guys. We are awful at waiting. We are awful. Awful at waiting now we're off with a lot of things okay so like I could probably begin almost every message by saying that followed by something else but today it seems appropriate to address this issue of our struggle to wait how hard can it be to wait doesn't it always seem like we're waiting on something and our hearts are never satisfied are they it seems like we're always waiting on something waiting to graduate yeah waiting to graduate waiting to get the first Good job. Waiting to be recognized. Waiting for a raise. Which is probably like all of you. Waiting for a raise. Waiting for a husband or a wife. That can be really painful. Difficult to wait for. Waiting to pay off a car. I mean, a lot of us are, are... like our whole lives are, like you might be able to have said that all these things are true for you. And so many of us are waiting and we're, and we're bad at it. And because we're bad at it, because we're bad at it, we, we circumvent God all the time. We impose our will. You know, many of us are waiting for spiritual things. Many of us are waiting for spiritual things, waiting to disciple. Waiting for that opportunity to invest into someone else. And and you're waiting and the the pastor hasn't called up your name yet. Waiting to discover your gifts. Man, God, what am I useful for? I I don't know. I don't see it yet. Waiting on a vision. Maybe some of you come into a place of maturity and, and you're learning and you're growing. And you're looking for God's plan for your life and you just don't see it yet. God has grown you and is preparing you for something more. You just can't put your finger on it yet. So you wait and you wait and you wait. And in our society, you know Sam said it earlier, And our society of immediate entertainment, immediate distraction, whenever you get bored, you, you, you have learned to turn to something that will distract you from your waiting Rather than engage it, rather than, remember we talked about this last week, the idea that acts about transition, isn't it? Rather than engaging the transition and resting in it and trusting the Lord, so many of us rather just be distracted from the waiting. We'll talk about this in a minute, but the apostles were intentional in their waiting. We want to be distracted. We want to, we want to, to in, a, in the worst case scenario, a lot of us, we just create our own plan and we call it God's. Because we refuse to wait. But listen to me, we can't deny one thing. We worship a God that makes us wait. Seems so cruel, doesn't it? Listen, Abraham waited on a son, didn't he? Moses, you waited in the wilderness. Jacob waited on Rachel. Joseph waited in prison. David waited for the throne. Israel waited for a deliverer. Some of these faith people waited Years, decades. Some of them wait hundreds of years. Generations of people waiting. But listen to me: a God that doesn't regard time does not care about your waiting. A God that lives and exists outside of time and made all things, a creator, a divine God, is not so concerned about your waiting. He's concerned about his plan. If we could get God's concept of time, then perhaps perhaps we would be way less anxious. Perhaps we wouldn't make such snap judgments all the time. Maybe we would we would circumvent God less, and we would stop forcing our hand and our will. Maybe we would learn patience if we could get an idea of God's concept of time. Chapter all, according to Romans fifteen, we worship a God of patience. That's what it calls him—a God of patience. He is the God of patience. Let's look at some verses. Psalm 135 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in His word do I hope. And Psalm 145, says, The eyes of all wait upon me, and thou give them their meat in due season. In due season. Psalm 33:20 says, Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Verse twenty-seven, eighteen says, "Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof." So he that waiteth on his master shall be honoured. There's so, listen. I hate reading these verses like this as verse references. There's so much deep, amazing doctrine to pull from these. But you understand the point here. God invites us to wait. James five seven says, "Be patient, therefore, brethren." unto the coming of the Lord behold the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Hebrews 12 says wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which thus so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us so much of life is about patience And so many of us are convinced that we're wasting when we're actually just waiting. We're convinced that we're wasting time when God doesn't see it that way. He calls it waiting. So Jesus told His disciples that they needed to wait for the Spirit, to wait for the promise to see the power of God. So here's my question for you. Can we be okay with waiting on the movement of God in our lives and in our ministry? It's a very specific question. Can we be okay with waiting on the movement of God in our lives and in our ministry? Here's our first key point. God's very best for us will always, okay, that's not an exaggeration, God's very best for us will always require waiting, now listen to me, with obedience and patience. Those are two components that we recognize and we see here in God's command to the apostles. Okay? If we're waiting, we must uh, 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 wait on him in obedience and with patience. Now, both of these things require faith. Both of these things require faith. You know what? God's very best is worth waiting for. It's worth waiting for, isn't it? See, what we'll see in chapter 2 is that when God shows up, crazy things happen. I mean, we're not there yet, but many of you are familiar enough with this book. And what you see in chapter 2 is crazy stuff goes out. Stuff beyond anyone's comprehension. I mean, what happens next is not anything like anything that's ever happened in the entirety of God's program. We don't see anything like it in the Old Testament. We don't see anything like it in the Gospels. What happens in chapter 2 is a one-off. And it's, and it's incredibly, incredibly unique. And they had to wait for it. And it proves to us that waiting is worth it. And here's the thing we also need to understand. God's movement and working is never an accident. It never happens by chance. In the case of the disciples, in chapter 2, that happening didn't happen by chance. It's a matter of being in the right place at the right time, isn't it? The right place at the right time. Now listen to me. As far as the right place goes, that was their responsibility. There was a command associated with that, wasn't there? What does he say? He says to them, go and wait in Jerusalem. Go and wait in Jerusalem. So the first part of getting God's power, the first part of experiencing God in our lives, the first part of receiving everything that God has for us, requires us obeying and, 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 and listening to His command and doing it. So Jesus tells them where to go, Jerusalem. So there's the command. It's not luck that they were in the right place. Is it? It's not luck. Being in the right place was a matter of faith and obedience. Are you in the right place? Are you in the right place to receive what you're waiting for? Jesus tells them what to do. He tells them to wait. He says the timing is perfect. They're waiting on God. They're, they're waiting on God was a matter of faith and patience. Faith and patience. See, he had a plan. And all he was asking for them to do is to believe. When the day of Pentecost came, they were in the right place at the right time because they chose to believe him and wait on him. Key point number two. Key point number two. Experiencing the power of God is not a recipe. And it cannot be conjured. It's not something that can be forced. It's not something that can be forced or imposed. So many people are working to convince themselves that they can invoke the power of Christ with the right prayer, with the right emotion, the right mental state. There even a complete denominations and sects of, sect of Christianity—they're devoted devoted to conjuring up a false presence of God. There's no template for revival, folks. We're convinced that, that, that God's movement and his power somehow left solely in our hands. Now I'm not taking away our responsibility to be in the right place when he commands us to do so. But we don't get to rob him of his decision to move when he feels like it. So many people are convincing themselves that they are in God's will when they're actually just doing the thing that is most convenient to their own will. They're, they're doing what they want to do and they're masking it as though, well, God told me this thing. This is what God's doing. So many of those people aren't even in God's will. See, Christ's power in our lives is a matter of obedience and waiting in faith. It's not about imposition. We don't get to tell Him what to do. We don't get to force His hand. Now, listen to me, New Testament believer. Okay, listen to me. You know the the disciples, the apostles here, and the disciples were waiting in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to come. Isn't that what they were waiting for? Right? To be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now listen, we aren't waiting on the Holy Spirit the way the apostles were. See, we have the Spirit, and we have the commission. The Spirit of God indwells us. Now listen to me, in the Old Testament economy, in the Old Testament program, in the gospel program, up to this point, the Spirit of God had never indwelt a believer. It came upon believers, it moved through believers, but it never indwelt a believer. Now, beyond this moment, and and arguably we'll get there later in, in, in Acts chapter 10, we'll address this then, the Holy Spirit begins to live in the lives of his followers. He lives in our lives. And so we're not sitting around waiting on the Holy Spirit. Okay, what are we waiting on? So we're waiting on an effectual open door. We are waiting on the fruit of Christ. We are waiting on the bidding of His Spirit. Not His Spirit come, not an emotional frenzy, not some crazy and miraculous work. We're waiting on God to provoke us to an open door. We're waiting for a breakthrough in the person, in the life of that person and our job or in our classroom. We're waiting on the Lord to work. We've already said the things that need to be said. We've already prayed the things that need to be prayed. And we are waiting on God to move in the lives of our family members or our friends. But you have to do that with expectation. So many of us are waiting in anxiety and frustration. Where is God? That's what we're saying. No, no, no. We have to wait the right way, full of faith. You know, in chapter 10, Cornelius, and we'll get there. I don't want to reveal the story too much. You know, Peter is found waiting in prayer. Peter is found waiting in prayer in chapter 10. And three men show up at his door. And from that moment on, the, the, the door is open to the Gentiles. I mean, Acts chapter 10 is the doorway, and Peter walked through it. But he didn't go looking. He was praying and waiting, and those men showed up at his door. And he was ready. He was ready. Now listen to me. Isn't that what we need at NBC? A ministry of obedient followers of Jesus Christ who are empowered by his spirit, who are willing to work in faith with no fear, Believers who are working and waiting patiently on the Spirit to yield its fruit and its timing. We can't, we can't, look. The same way a farmer has, has no ability to do any more than cultivate, we cannot invent fruit. We cannot make fruit happen. I don't, get to invite, I don't get to just open my hand and an apple appear. This is not our reality. God is the bearer of fruit and we wait on Him. This does not remove our responsibility. We are to obey Him. But we're waiting on Him to make a way for fruit. We are working patiently and full of faith. And some of us, really, the the, the invitation for you today is that you learn to wait the way the apostles waited. I mean, if we look at Acts chapter 2, we see them praising the name of the Lord and praying and waiting in anticipation. And some of us need to learn to anticipate and expect that what God says He's going to do, He's going to do it in your life. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of timing and preparation. Look at uh, verse 4. We're going, to talk, we're going to close by talking. We've got a little bit of time here. You know what I'm saying? We've got a little bit of time. I'm doing good. We're going to talk about baptism. We're going to talk about baptism. You know, baptism comes up a lot in Acts. Okay? Now, specifically in three different ways. Right? Now, and now, baptism, I already recognize baptism for a lot of people is a very controversial subject. And I've had really great conversations with a lot of believers in this ministry about what baptism really is. Because a lot of people are confused about it. Right? And mainly, mainly they're confused because they read Acts the wrong way. Okay, But listen to me. Um, there are three types of baptisms that we see primarily here in Acts. Okay, What we see is, we see John's baptism spoken of. We're about to read about that. John's baptism. We see uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then, and then we see the baptism of the saints. Okay? Which is, a, which is, a, is an ordinance. For those of you who are in uh, discipleship, right? You learned that in uh, Lesson 3, I believe, right? You were learning about the ordinances. And so let's talk about, let's, let's define here. Just based on what chapter 1 says, we're going to let's talk about baptism a lot, I promise you. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is if you have questions about baptism, start writing them down and prepare yourselves, because we are going to address baptism over and over again throughout Acts. Alright? And so we're going to look at what the Bible has to say. Not what men have to say, what the Bible has to say about, about baptism. So let's see what it has to say right here. Verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye, ye have heard of me listen but John shall be baptized with water but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence that's the promise of the Father we're talking about the promise of the Father the promise of the Father is that the Holy Spirit is coming and he will baptize you so Christ defines for them here what they're waiting for let's talk about for a moment what John's baptism is some of us don't know okay John the Baptist came as a prophet. you guys know who John the Baptist is? I mean, we call him John the Baptist. So he better have something to do with baptism, don't you think? Right? So John the Baptist was a prophet. Called to preach a very specific message. And that message was the imminent coming of the Messiah. Right? He, he is doing the prophetic work in the spirit of Elijah, okay, he's coming to prepare a way for Jesus Christ the Messiah to come into the world that all, all the world might be ready for his coming. Okay? So his responsibility was to call Israel to repent through the act of water baptism for the remission of sin. Is everybody with me? So, John the Baptist is built in to an Old Testament program. God's Old Testament program. John the Baptist is the spearhead at the very end of God's Old Testament program. In the Old Testament program, it was crucial for the Jew to, to believe and to work. They were corresponding. The two things were hand in hand. If you were a believer, you made sacrifice in the temple every year. And if you didn't do that, guess what? You weren't remitted of your sins. You understand? It was crucial that faith and works be in tandem. And John the Baptist's baptism is in that same mindset. The baptism itself remitted people of their sins, the same way the annual sacrifices did. This was the calling in preparation for the Messiah. Listen, Mark chapter 1 verse 4 says John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism he preached a baptism what he preached, the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins he's calling people that their hearts might be softened to the coming of the Messiah Luke chapter 3 verse 3 and he came into all the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins everybody's with me Yeah? Okay. So, this should sound familiar to you. This should sound familiar to you. Because it sounds really similar to the command that, that Jesus gives to disciples. Okay, but with one important difference. Everybody look at Luke chapter 24. We looked at this passage last time we were together. Luke chapter 24, verse 46. Jesus said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus to behold Christ uh, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Okay, now listen. The repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. Does anybody see baptism involved in that command? No, no, no. The command here is to, to call people to repent and be remitted of sin in what? In his name. In his name. Look, we have a transition taking place, don't we? In Acts, we have a transition taking place. John the Baptist baptism is, is passing away. And a new baptism, a spiritual baptism, is taking its place. So what we're going to see in Acts chapter 2 is the Spirit coming down and indwelling believers. This should never happened in the history of mankind. And what, because of what God did at Pentecost, now we have the Comforter living inside Christians, healing us and empowering us for the work. Because of what happened. So here, here we go. John's message was, I think it's up here. John, this, this is a summary of what I just said. John's message was repent and be baptized to prepare for the coming Messiah. Right? Okay. But after the Spirit comes, the apostles' message was repent, for the Messiah has come. So for John, it was a physical baptism centered on prophecy. Yeah. Am I boring you? I hope you got not. I hope you got not. I will be speaking to you. These are important things to know. Doctrine is important. It informs the way we think. It informs the way we do. It drives us to live righteously. Alright? You shouldn't be ignorant. So listen to me. It was a physical baptism. Splash in the water. Right? Lift it up. In anticipation, it was a prophetic, physical baptism. Make sense? Now the apostles' message was repent for the Messiah comes, and that's a spiritual baptism centered on the gospel. It's a spiritual baptism centered on the gospel. So, you know, we're going to talk about baptism a lot. You know, there's seven baptisms in the Bible. Okay? Yeah. Seven of them. Yeah, Yeah? You're born with two alright all right, well, so, so uh, there's seven baptisms in scripture we're not going to cover all those baptisms we're just going to talk about a few of them in Acts but see here, what's important for us to know here in, in, in Acts chapter 1 is exactly what John the Baptist says in Matthew 3.11 he says I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance but he that cometh after me is mightier than I whose shoes I am not worthy to bear Thanks, homie. He saw us out. Look at this. Oh. I love you, dude. You know that? Okay. But listen to me. I mean, John defines it right here. He says, He that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now we're not going to get into the fire baptism, but listen to me. Listen to me. You don't want the fire baptism. There's a lot of people praying for fire baptism because they have no idea what the Bible is talking about. They have no idea. They, have, they pray to the Lord for fire to come down from heaven. This is a very loose use of biblical language. Listen to me. The fire baptism is judgment.
1: You don't want the fire baptism. Right?
0: Because you want to know Jesus Christ. What you want is the Holy Spirit baptism. The Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ. He baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Which is not an experience as much as it is an indwelling. It's a state of being. People are imitating what they see in Acts chapter 2. I'm not even there, yet. I'm preaching Acts chapter 2. People are trying to imitate what they see in Acts chapter 2. We're not the one-off. See, so what's important about Acts chapter 2 is that God decide, decided that he was going to indwell the people that followed him. The people that repented. He was going to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that more. Also, what's important to understand is what Paul says. Galatians chapter 3, 27 says, For as many of you that have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Okay, do you see the correlation here between Christ being baptized into Christ and being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Okay, key point number three. This is important to understand. Salvation itself is a baptism. Listen, you don't need to be dunked in the water to be saved. That's actually a work. That's a work. It's an ordinance. It's a command. Jesus does emphasize it, and we're going to talk about it. It's an important thing to do. Okay? I mean, praise God God that uh, Nate Christ's son, Oliver, got saved a week ago. Yeah, see, you guys didn't know that. I just said something you didn't know. It's so sweet, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Okay, guess what? Oliver, Oliver said, can I be baptized now? And his daddy baptized him this morning. This is the way it should be done. Okay, My son got saved a year ago and still I got baptized we're working on it we're talking about obedience but has gotta be his decision right daddy's not gonna force anything but here's the deal and if you guys don't know Shepard's super shy I mean it's the cloud thing it's a problem but my point is is that baptism for a lot of people a lot of people are convinced that you get dunked in that water and you come out and the Holy Spirit descends on you the way it did for Jesus in John the Baptist baptism. And they get everything all jumbled up because they don't understand how to divide the scriptures. And we cannot we cannot be confused about what baptism is. You have to look at scripture pain in here. Salvation itself is a baptism and baptism into the to the Spirit, into Christ, right? It's of the Spirit into Christ. And some of you this morning, uh, what you need to recognize is that you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you've never had salvation you've never been baptized in his spirit and it's not it's not some crazy thing it's not some weird uh, experience that's right it's simply believing repenting of your sin believing on the name of Jesus Christ declaring him Lord over your life asking him to forgive you and just resting in the fact that he indwells you by his spirit baptized in the spirit And some of you need to make that decision. You've never repented of your sins. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You love Jesus. You love Jesus. Maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe you've been hearing the word you love the Bible. But you've never fully understood until just now that Jesus Christ His expectation for you is to repent of your sin, to turn to Him, make Him Lord of your life, and He will indwell you forever and you will be changed. There will be a difference. There will be a new power. There will be a new experience. Everything will be different after that. Amen. But some of you still have to make that decision. And the invitation for you today is that you would, at the end of service, come forward and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That would be the invitation to you. And you don't need to be ashamed or afraid to a shepherd is to get dumped in some water. You're a grown up. You could say to yourself, I don't know Jesus. And I'm gonna go forward. Because I'm a grown up.
1: Let's
0: dip our toes in verse six, shall I mean, I've all kinds of time. Alright, we're going to go for about five more minutes. You ready? I'll well, we'll read this passage and we will, we will divide it and we will look at it more next week. Can you bear with me? So Christ gives them instruction to go to Jerusalem and wait on the Spirit. Now keep in mind, Christ has spent 40 days teaching them not about the physical kingdom of heaven, but about the kingdom of God which is spiritual. It's a spiritual kingdom. But they're still struggling to understand. And we're going to look at this more next week. They're still struggling. Even in the last second. Jesus, like, I'm about to peace out, y'all. If you don't get this, I don't know what to tell you. I'm leaving.
1: I'm right?
0: Well, listen, verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked to Him, saying, Lord, Will thou this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. And we're going to look at that next week. But I do want to mention this because this is so powerful. This is so powerful. This is everything that we are right here in verse 8. This is everything that we do. This is our vocation and our purpose in life that's given to us right here in verse 8. And you shall receive power. You shall receive power. That's the promise. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. So we talked about We talked about God's preparation, Christ's preparation for us, right? We talked about that. We talked about our patience waiting on God. But now what God's doing is He's calling into question our priorities. Do we share Christ's priorities? His priorities is that we reach the lost world with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to say this and I cannot say it enough. In MBT, and as far as I'm concerned, Kaya especially, has no purpose if it's not this. And many of us, we love the fellowship, we love the friendship, we love the time spent, we love the teaching. Okay? But so listen to me, listen to me. We are nothing if we are not this your only identity in life is the vocation that Christ gave you are your priorities his. You know what it's like to work in a place where you have different priorities than the people that you work for? It's awful. Isn't it? It's an awful experience. There are times where you think you know what's best and what's right and you have a plan and you've got it figured out and you're working that plan and you're working that program. But listen to me. You know what? Your job is to submit to the program of your boss. And you work for that program. That's your job. It's a vocation. Listen to me. Our vocation is to preach the gospel to the entire known world. And if we're not doing that, anything outside of that is a waste of your freaking time. It's a waste. And so we are working that program. We are obedient to that purpose. We are praying for those things. We are waiting patiently for those doors. And we are ready to bear fruit at any given moment. This is what we do. And I invite you as we pray and as the worship team comes up, if, if there's anything that God's working in your heart, then you would deal with that today. When you come forward. We're going to have people up here ready to pray with you. You can pray with someone sitting in the row. But listen to me. Don't leave here without having dealt with Whatever God is pressing upon your heart. Some of you, you need to get prepared. And you need to sign up for B1 immediately. Some of you, you need to sign up for B2. You haven't done that yet. and You know you're supposed to. Some of you need to sign up for LFBI. Some of you need to come forward because you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Some of you have just figured out what baptism is. And you need to come forward and you need to determine that you're going to obey Jesus Christ and the ordinance of baptism. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I, I, I'm so grateful for your, the clarity of your scripture and that, that you know, so many times Lord, when we're left to our own devices, we just get things wrong. And we do. We just go right around you. And we neglect what you have to say. We want your we want the benefits of following you so often but, but we want to, to neglect the obedience and the patience that it requires to get there forgive us God Lord help us all to learn to rest in the transitions that God you have in our lives right now that we would wait diligently and patiently with expectation that God you want to use us you want to grow us you're preparing us for something more always always preparing us for something more and that waiting is required of your saints. Lord we love you we're so thankful that you have a plan for us that we have a purpose that we can find our identity in the gospel message of Jesus Christ And we can have a job, a vocation to do, and that's to preach your name, your holy name, everywhere we go. Lord, we need you. We need to do all this in the power of your Holy Spirit that you've given us, that's indwelling us. And we ask for your help, because we know that you give it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen.